0: Love Talk Radio. Hi there. I'm Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and this show is a celebration of baby boomers who are embracing life as we grow older. And speaking of embracing life, everyone loves a gripping tale of intrigue and suspense, and believe me, it doesn't get much better than the book we are going to be discussing today. Our guest, Roger Rappaport, is an award-winning author, a filmmaker, and a playwright. His work has appeared in major publications such as the Wall Street Journal, the Atlantic, Esquire, the Los Angeles Times, and the San Francisco Chronicle. And his films have been shown at film festivals around the world winning 30 festival awards, including seven for Best Feature Film. But Roger's joining us today to share all about his latest book, and believe me, this one covers a story that each and every Boomer out there is going to well remember. The title is Searching for Patty Hearst, and I guarantee you will not be able to put this addictively page-turning book down. It certainly was addictive to me, so I can't wait to find out more. And welcome, Roger. Roger.
1: Thank you. Great to be here.
0: Well, and at the onset, I want to congratulate you because not only did you create a real page-turner, but our generation, it's especially meaningful to us. Uh, And although this is your first published book on Patty Hearst, it isn't your first book that focused on her as a subject. So let's begin by you giving us a little bit of a background on how you first became involved with the Hearst case.
1: So I had a ringside seat to the Hearst kidnapping, beginning uh, on the day uh, that she she was kidnapped. As a journalist, I began working on the story for New Times Magazine and wrote a book uh, about it with her fiancé, the guy that was beaten up by the Seminues Liberation Army as she was being kidnapped. And after he got out of Ulta Bates Hospital in Berkeley, uh, where I lived, um, I interviewed him uh, as he was searching uh, to try to find Patty during the ransom negotiations that were going on with the SLA. And he actually lived in the Hearst home uh, during part of that time. And we spent months together working on a book um, that for a New York publisher, Ballantine. Uh, he lived in my house. Uh, as we were finishing the book, he decided that uh, it was a little more forthcoming than he wanted to be because he still had a hope that Patty might return um, from uh, captivity. Uh, and they would go ahead with their plans to get married uh, in Berkeley in the summer of 74. So that book, uh, was actually, um, taken away. He went ahead and, and, uh, decided to do a kind of a redacted version of it, um, without some of the intimate details of their life together that began when he was her math teacher, um, at a private school in, in the Bay area. And, um, they fell in love when she was 16. And, um, he just felt some of that was a little too personal, especially details about Patty's life growing up with the hearse. Um, so Steve went on and wrote his own book. I went on and interviewed Patty's kidnapper for the Oakland Tribune years later after he was paroled, uh, Bill Harris, and then later interviewed the coroner, Tom Noguchi, who autopsied the six SOA members who died in a firefight uh, with the LAPD. And also I have a relative. my My grandmother's brother-in-law was the trial judge, in a case in Los Angeles where Patty uh, was being prosecuted for kidnapping, a 17-year-old high school student, when she was on the run. Um, and I've continued to cover the case. Of, uh, I published a piece on Sunday in the Washington Post. So I'm still reporting, uh, and because of the book tour that I'm on right now in California, uh, which is, by the way, um, going on this week, uh, details are at pattyhurst.com. I'm in the Bay Area. Um, I'm getting contacted by a lot of people who were central to the case, um, and uh, so I'm having an opportunity to update some of the, some of the, the great stories behind this behind this drama. And
0: what a drama it is! It was and still is. I've got to say. Well, the uh, fiance's name we haven't mentioned it. It's Stephen Weed, and right. I'm going to say in quotes that you quote enjoyed <laughs> a rather rocky relationship over the years. So can you share a little bit about
1: that? Well, sure. So Steve. Um, you know, was helping Patty in many different ways, like um, getting through her geometry class by literally stealing a final exam um, from a file cabinet of the geometry teacher, giving it to Patty so she could get through that class. So these were kind of some of the kinds of details that he didn't want to put in the, the final book, which was almost done when he kind of pulled the plug and went off and wrote his own book. But on, uh, on the book, Searching for Patty Hearst, uh which is, a, a novel. I give equal time to everybody, including Steve, and I tell everybody's side of the story, Patty's side of the story, the kidnapper's side of the story, you name it. Um, so it's a comprehensive look at all the places where there is a disputed account of what actually happened. For example, one of the reasons that Patty decided to stay and fight with with the SLA was the fact that her father, uh, part of the billionaire first Corporation, he was chairman at the time and also publisher of the San Francisco Examiner, Um, when he said he he didn't have the the wherewithal uh, to ransom his daughter, that didn't go over very well with Patty. And um, and so there was a big dispute about why the Hearst uh, wouldn't want to ransom uh, one of their own. So in the book, we tell Randy's side of the story. We tell Patty's side of the story. And as you know, two people can be in the same room and have uh, different versions of what happened. So that's where the book goes. We try to be fair to everybody in searching for and give everybody a chance to to offer their version of what happened, all the different vantage points, including the FBI um, and uh, everybody, family members. uh, And, of course, I'm basically spending uh, this 50-year period. This week is the golden anniversary of the kidnapping. And uh, so when you read the book, you, you can hear literally what everybody um you know in, in this in this fictional account you can you can get get their point of view and that that's what i think really is needed here because if you read all these great books and articles everybody has a great story but you never know which story um is is um the one to trust and the point of the book is especially for younger people is to uh realize that you can never take one person's word for anything and that's what journalists do that's what this show does We encourage people to listen to all sides and then come up with, make up their own mind. And at a time when a lot of media is focused on a single point of view um, or one person's interpretation of events, it's really important to balance that Um, and then, uh, you know, listen to all the different versions and then decide uh, where the where the story is. And once the reader can hear the different vantage points, then they can come to a good. Uh, a good decision about what actually happened.
0: Well, and two, like you say, you 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 draw in all these various vantage points, and one of them that I never even considered at all until I read your book was that Patty's parents' marriage was rather complicated, and so that further complicated their response to her kidnapping. So there were issues involved there, and then the other thing that I never even considered was how badly the food distribution program went when they actually you know gave out all that food. So tell us a little bit about how some. of those affected her lack of being released
1: well one of the reasons that patty decided to stay and fight was she was afraid that if she walked which she could have done because SLA gave her a gun and told her she could go they realized with the huge fbi manhunt that she was a liability they weren't going to get the ransom what was the point keeping her you know it it was dangerous to her it was dangerous to them so they told her she could walk and she didn't because she was afraid that she might get hurt um that you know a trigger happy cop would not not handle it right. Well, then, shortly after she joined, six of the S.L.A. members died in a huge firefight with the L.A.P.D. in Los Angeles. So now she really her fears were were fully realized, and this this was one of the reasons why it was difficult for her to just walk away. Even though for much of her time when she was um, a disappeared, she wasn't even living with the S.L.A. So that's a that's an example. Of of her state of mind in her legal defense when she was arrested for robbing a bank in San Francisco with the SLA members, um, she claimed she was brainwashed. But there was a lot of evidence um, that led to her losing that case and going to jail um, for 22 months. She was actually sentenced um, for seven years, but the Hearst did a pretty good job um, um, organizing a committee to free Patty Hearst that persuaded Jimmy Carter that she should get out early.
0: Well, I have to say, too, you share so many, I mean, really jaw-dropping surprises. <laughs> uh, one of them I don't want to give away too much because I really do want our listeners to grab their own copy of this book. Because, Like I said, many, many times you're not going to be able to put it down. But one of the surprises that got me uh, was uh, something called A Floating Shakespeare Company on the Mississippi. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Well, the great advantage uh, of writing a fictional book is you can get down to the core of uh, who these people were. One of, the, one of the kidnappers was an actress, Angela Atwood. So um, in that particular uh, section of the book, we talk about all the acting that had to go on uh, for all the SLA members, because they were constantly in situations where people would say, oh, that looked, you look like Patty Hearst. Or somebody would say, you know, there was one situation where um, she was at the bottom the steep Cliff, and some rangers insisted on her not trying to climb the cliff, and they sent the fire department out, (laughs) and she gave a fake name and address, and they (sighs) checked it out and realized who it really was, you know. So there were all these moments when they had to act their way out of a situation. In fact, the woman I'm talking about, Angela Atwood, um, who's a key figure in this part of the book you're talking about, um, Angela actually was an actress who knocked on the door, of Patty and Steve's apartment in Berkeley and posed as a uh driver who, who couldn't uh couldn't get her car moving and uh could she borrow borrow a phone. So her acting skills really paid off.
0: Unbelievable. Roger? I'm here. Oh, good. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was afraid I might have lost you for a minute. but yeah, Well, and two, I mean, again, these revelations and the whole idea are just, I mean, all these surprises just had, you know, my jaw dropping while I was reading it. And uh, on, on the cover, the word novel appears uh, on the front cover, but to my way of thinking, and maybe, you know, this is true, that the majority of the book really is nonfiction. And uh, you wrote on page 257, I noted that. A lot of times, writing fiction is just a lot of times fiction is just the truth disguised via pseudonyms and change of venue. So, did you practice a little bit of that in the book? Because there's a whole lot of truth involved.
1: Well, there are many things in the book that, of course, happened. Uh, the, the, the structure of the book is built around the real events. But I, I want to share with you the fact that I really did interview Eddie's kidnapper, Bill Harris. And he tells uh, his side of the story. Um, And it was actually uh, the point being that uh, Patty, uh, you know, was given an opportunity to leave and chose not to. Um, And that, you know, basically a lot of her decisions were based around the reality that her family wasn't going to ransom her. And what was she going to do? She didn't want to go back to Steve Weed. She'd fallen in love with one of the kidnappers. She announced that in the q Uh, She made a very strong case um, for many of the SLA's goals, uh, particularly uh, feminism. You know, she emerged as a feminist, an anti-war activist. She was involved in the prison reform movement. She was very articulate about um, her family and and all sorts of issues related to to the corporate power structure. Um, So when all of this went before the jury, um, basically her view that she'd been brainwashed was, was not convincing, and she lost her case. And, and Bill explains in a real interview that I really did, actually, with the Oakland Tribune, which is in the book, um, that point of view. So there are sections in the book uh, that that are based on my own journalism, and that's that's part of the nice thing about fiction um, is that when you have uh, direct information. In fact, I went with Bill on the on opening night of Patty's movie based on her book which made a very good case uh, for her to be pardoned by Bill Clinton. It worked, and this movie was part of that effort. But you're talking about fictionalizing. Paul Schrader, the very famous director who directed the film based on her book, uh, changed the ending. She wasn't very happy about it. I wrote about that this week in The Washington Post.
0: Jeez. Well, and also you mentioned a few names in the book that, you know, make sense to me now because of your, you know, how you explain them. Uh, but I didn't, you know, wouldn't have come to mind otherwise. But their, their part of the story was fascinating, too. Wendy Yoshimura, I did recognize her name. Uh, and mm-hmm. it, in the book it says that you met her while you were on vacation. So I'm not sure, you know, if that's fiction or whatever. But But the other thing, it was Cindy Winton. Now, I the name has to be real. Uh, tell the story about how did Cindy Winton
1: contribute to the, the deal with Patty Hearst? Well, in the, in the book, um, she becomes the character that arrests Patty, and uh, she wants to do it in a very civilized manner. The FBI was subject of a huge, uh, this was one of the largest investigations ever, and uh, there was a lot of battle between local police and the FBI on how to handle the case. And her character um, in the book talks about, the debacle that was the FBI—you um, know took them 18 months to finally find her, and that—that's profiled there. So many of these characters are composites; they're created to essentially uh, give the point of view of law enforcement uh, struggling to find Patty. And I, I want to add this point: searching for Patty Hearst is an attempt to tell the reader, uh, don't just ever take uh, one author's point of view and decide that, that that they have all all the information. I'm going to give you a small example. So this week, one of the top investigative reporters um, in California uh, learned from me that Joseph Romero, who was a, one of the uh, two people arrested and convicted for murdering the Oakland School Superintendent on behalf of the Symbionese Liberation Army prior to Patty's kidnapping, was not in jail, that he'd been paroled several years ago. And he went out and did a search through all the media and couldn't find one reference to the fact that several years ago, this convict, uh, this SLA convict, the last SLA member in jail, had gotten out years ago. Um, So that's, that's, that's why fiction is so important because, you know, in doing this fictional book, I'm finding out a lot of new facts. um, And that's one of them um, that's never been published or doing an internet search. He's still in jail. Which is not true. <laughs> so that's God. the dividing line between fact and fiction. You know, a lot of what's sold are, you know, well, I checked that on the Internet. Yeah, every, every news organization said he's been denied parole 11 times. So that's why fiction, a book like Searching for Patty Hearst, is valuable because it's given me a chance to revisit some of the, quote, facts in the case and find out, well, it's actually a little different than the way it was portrayed. Well,
0: that and yeah, I mean, too, and I'm not going to give away any of the surprises, but I do want to make sure. For our listeners again, once you get your hands on this book, make sure it's not going to be difficult at all. But get to the end because the end—and I'm going back to the vernacular of the times—it is far out, man. <laughs> I mean, really. So <laughs> I loved it. I hate to—I hate to close, but I, I want to close on a few things. Uh, you do have a website. I know you're making several appearances in the Bay Area this week, uh, so let our listeners know where they can go to find out more about you and your films, and your plays, and your books, and your upcoming
1: appearances. So the appearances are at pattyhurst.com um, in Berkeley, uh, at BookSync actually today, um, um, at Book Passage um, in, in Corte Madera on Sunday, the 11th, and then I'm at Green Apple Books in San Francisco on the 13th, and also on the, the um, 8th, I'm at the Mechanics Institute in San Francisco, plus BookSync um, in Mountain View on the 15th, um, so, um, all of this is at pattyhurst.com, uh, my website is my name, com. and I just want to thank you um, for giving me this opportunity. Um, it's, it's a story that's um, endless and totally fascinating, and um, in my talks, I'm reporting some of the calls I've been getting um, for many of the principals in the case. Um, so it's been a great opportunity to reconnect with some of the key players in, in the story.
0: Well, and, Roger, I want to also, before we close, let our listeners know that you just mentioned you are still researching as of today because this case oh, yeah, has yeah. so many yeah. layers to it, and it's just it's fascinating. So I'll, I'll be looking for Searching for Patty Hirsch Part 2 coming out. <laughs> no, I, I really it it it, it real walk down memory lane because of all the details you recall, fascinating stuff and just a true delight from start to finish. So, thank you so much, Roger.
1: Thank you. Thanks. It's been great.
0: And okay. I do want our listeners to know, again, it, it, it's been a real pleasure to get to speak with the author, but believe me, I know you're not going to want to miss out on this fabulous book. Uh, it's, from my personal experience, it truly is a page-turner, and it's addictive, and please get it and read to the end. You will not regret that purchase, purchase for sure. So until next time, this is Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and I'll catch you later. Bye-bye.